0: seasonal and local supply of flowers and foliage. This podcast is brought to you by slowflowers.com, the free nationwide online directory to florist shops and studios who design with American grown flowers and to the farms that grow those blooms. It's the conscious choice for buying and sending flowers. And thank you to Florist Review Magazine. I'm delighted to serve as contributing editor for Slow Flowers Journal, found in the pages of Florist Review. Read our stories at slowflowersjournal.com. Our first sponsor thanks goes to the Gardener's Workshop, which offers a full curriculum of online education for flower farmers and farmer florists. Online education is more important this year than ever, and you'll want to check out the course offerings at thegardenersworkshop.com. I'm so happy to share my conversation with Heather Shue of HB Farm with you today. We recorded it last Saturday after the July Best of workshop that Slow Flowers produced for the Seattle Wholesale Growers Market. It was serendipitous that we would be in the same place the same day. Heather presented about blueberry, blackberry, and raspberry cuts for foliage, along with Christy Hilliker of B&B Family Farm, who gave a fabulous lavender talk. Following their presentations, Melissa Fevier of Terra Flowers designed a lush and abundant summer arrangement using the berry foliage and lavender, along with companion flowers. The presentations can be found on the Growers' Markets IGTV feed, and I'll share a link for you to go back and watch. I say it was serendipity that brought Heather and me together to record, socially distanced on opposite sides of the room, of course. Because this is an interview that took one year to accomplish. I had reached out to Heather to set up an interview last summer, only to discover that the date I wanted to visit HB Farm was also the date that Heather was hosting her son's wedding at her farm. Oh, and designing the flowers, too. I'm so glad we made it work this past week, and I learned a lot about this serial entrepreneur who has a background in timber, home construction, and interior design. For Heather, it started with blueberries, though, and she has come full circle to return to blueberries of her childhood, but in a modern, design-forward way. Here's a bit more about Heather Shue and H.B. Farm. Her family has been farming the land that is currently H.B. Farm since the 1940s. During that time, the ground has seen several crop successions. Heather remembers helping plant raspberries there in 1975. And when the raspberry market changed in the early 80s, all of the farmland was converted to blueberries. She says this, The biggest lessons I have learned from farming is that it isn't easy and to be ready to innovate and make changes due to market demands and conditions. Well, that played out in 2015 when the market for blueberries was inundated with overproduction. Farms that were planted throughout northern Washington state and even further to the south started to produce everything they had planted about five years earlier. And suddenly the need for small producers to sell their products to larger wholesalers and distributors simply dried up leaving family farms like H.B. Farms stuck with blueberries that no one wanted. After much discussion and the desire to continue to farm, Heather and her husband Brandon decided to dig up and sell as many of their blueberry plants as they could, after which they began converting their fields to flowers. That next chapter continues today. Heather calls farming a lifestyle summed up by rising early to harvest and doing all of the waterings and chores associated with farming and going to bed late when your body is aching from all of the hours of hard work. She believes this work ethic was passed down by her parents and grandparents, adding, family farms are a beautiful part of this nation's history, and I am so happy that we are able to continue our family's legacy with flowers." Let's jump right in and get started. You'll see photos of Heather, her flowers, and blueberries and more in the show notes for today's episode 462. Please enjoy our conversation. Welcome back to the Slow Flowers Podcast with Deborah Prinzing. And I am so delighted today to introduce Heather Shu of HB Farm based in Bow, Washington. Hi, Heather. Hi, Deborah. Thanks for having me. I'm so glad we could finally do this. Me too. (laughs) We were joking before we turned on the recorder that uh, I reached out to you about a year ago and said, hey, I'm driving up to British Columbia. Can I stop at your farm and interview you? And you said, "Um, I'm busy. (laughs) Busy weekend. My son was getting married and it happened to be an outdoor wedding
1: in our yard. So I was busy.
0: Plus you did all the flowers.
1: I did all the
0: flowers. Yeah. So my timing was off. So yes, Heather, it's taken us a year to get together, but we both just finished a fun event here at the Seattle Wholesale Growers Market. And, um, you, uh, spoke about mainly your main crop, which is blueberries, Mm -hmm. but other berry foliage crops, um, is sort of become a big part of your business, right? A
1: huge part of our business. And, um, Probably sixty-five percent of our sales to the growers market is in blueberry, uh, and we're the number one um, grower blueberry for the growers market. Uh, uh, Crowley House also grows some, but um, we in terms grow of a quantity. lot. Yeah, yeah, we grow a lot of, of blueberry for the market, and it's
0: it's a big part of my business. But, wow.
1: Yeah.
0: Well, give us a snapshot of HB Farm. Where is it? And you know, what's your acreage and What do you have besides, well, tell me about the blueberries, too, because they were so (laughs) beautiful. Your presentation was great. Thank you.
1: Um, We, uh, my husband Brandon and I have the farm in Bow, in Bow, Washington, and that farm uh, is five acres, and then I have access to another farm that has, um, also has acreage, and he has about four acres, and... um, with the blueberry market being what it is anymore, he has given me access to cut foliage in on his property too, which is helpful because as some varieties start to ripen, I can go cut other ones that aren't yet and, and that kind of stuff. So it kind of spreads our growing, mm. our, our ability to deliver here to the market out always.
0: Right. And also, there, I've heard this from other, you know, in other situations where there are some people who really just want to grow. They don't want to get involved in the selling. And- marketing, so you're kind of agenting that other farm's product mm-hmm. along with yours.
1: Yes, um, part of the reason is is because about um, 10 years ago, uh, nine I guess, probably about nine years ago, um, a lot of blueberry farms started to come online. Okay. So uh, about 15 years ago, people were buying up ground and putting blueberries in it because the market was hot and blueberry was the thing to get into. And then was I'll it like aside, the antioxidant it, it, thing? Yeah, it was the antioxidant thing. Blueberries were good for you. Everybody wanted them. Um, and so, you know, blueberries started getting put in everything. And all of a sudden, um, the blueberry market really just kind of fell apart. Mm. And if Are you, you talking about in
0: the Pacific Northwest or nationally? Um,
1: nationally. Okay. Um, in the sense that uh, there were a lot of farms up in British Columbia that came online, and then in Whatcom County um, here in Washington, and then some even on in eastern Washington. And what happened is the market kind of fell apart, and about that time we also started having lots of listeria outbreaks in our vegetable farming and things like that. And so what we had been doing was selling to a large um, a large wholesaler
0: mm-hmm.
1: that just bought the fruit and would sell it out to Costco and, you know, everywhere throughout, store, grocery stores. It's almost stores. Like, a, a, like a
0: collective or a yes, co-op or something. kind of
1: like a co-op. Yeah. Um, years ago, we used to sell through a co-op, but then we just started wholesaling all of our fruit, and it was easy. Yeah. Um, you know, they just come pick it up. We picked it with a machine. We didn't have to deal with labor forces or anything like that. Um, so it was pretty clean and easy for us, and when I bought the farm, that's what we were doing for the first couple of years. And all of a sudden, those those wholesalers um, were, we only want to buy from a farm. We no longer want to buy from a five-acre farm. We want to buy from a farm who is,
0: um,
1: you know, can supply us with 150,000 pounds of fruit or more.
0: So like only the commercial, large commercial Larger scale. commercial
1: scale farms. And so our market just fell apart, and mm-hmm. we couldn't find any place to market our fruit anymore. So it was an easy... Not an easy transition, but basically you would just had these plants out there that had blueberries on them, but they were just
0: kind of going to rot. They were feeding the birds. Wow. Yep. What year was that about? uh, It was about 2011,
1: 2012.
0: Okay. Mm -hmm. Wow. Mm -hmm. And um, yet you had these robust, vigorous, like happy plants because they grow well here, right? Right.
1: Right. Most of them were planted. Um, uh, My farm was planted in the, in the about 1975 uh, or before it was blueberries, my grandparents had raspberries on it. So, yeah, it's, mm. you know, I had plants that were old and producing lots of fruit. And um, so, yeah, it was a little, it was a little disheartening. But we realized that we needed to keep our ground and we wanted to keep our ground in ag production. Um, and I didn't really want to um, raise animals or just tear a mountain and plant hay. <laughs> So we needed to figure out something
0: else to do. So when did you realize that blueberry uh branches foliage fruit had a ornamental quality they yes they taste good but there's another way people use them well
1: actually just to back up just a little I decided that I needed I needed to kind of repurpose this agricultural ground and I wanted to keep it in eggland land and in Skagit County you know there's so much great agricultural ground and um our soil is beautiful and we just can grow lots of different things so i wanted to keep it in agricultural ground and i my husband's looking around at my flower beds and saying you really grow a lot of flowers heather <laughs> like, this is a, this is a lot cuz you so, live, you live at the farm i live at okay. the farm so and i've always <laughs> had you know at least a couple acres of flowers around my house too so he was looking at him saying well you, you know you really do this well so and I said, yeah, I, I think I want to grow flowers. Like, I think this might... I think it was kind of, you know, that time when yeah. flower growing was kind of becoming popular. Like 10 years ago. Yeah, there was kind of, you know, it, it, it was... I don't um, ever think that there's a romantic notion around farming, but flowers seemed fun
0: yeah. and interesting yeah. to me.
1: And things and that word, I already
0: did. The ro- Where romance popped in my head right before yeah. you said it. But <laughs> yes. there's, that's just the... That's just the like one percent of the whole business. (laughs) If anybody really thought about how hard farming was, they would think twice.
1: But no, it's you know it it was kind of an an easy transition for me to think about doing. So we did start tearing out rows and rows and rows of blueberries, and we just um, during the first winter that we realized we weren't going to have a market, um, we dug up um, and sold to people on Craigslist. Um, The plants. The plants. Wow. Yeah. So it was quite the process. And then um, that first year transitioned and had, still had some rows of plants, but transitioned and and had flowers. And I um, made contact here at the Seattle Wholesale Growers Market and Molly actually said, oh, you grow blueberries? And (laughs) she, uh, she was really interested in the blueberry foliage. And that's kind of where I found out that it was something that, you know, florists, used and then I started following some of the florists and seeing what they used it for and I kind
0: of was like oh let's put some of those plants back in the ground <laughs> so we're talking about Molly Sadowski yes. a longtime uh, manager here at the grower's market she's moved on to she's working for Johnny's mm-hmm. Selected Seeds which is pretty exciting mm-hmm. She's still in the club the flower club but um how you know her background is floral design mm-hmm. as well so she um it's funny that you happen to what, as an aside, say, "Oh, well, we had a blueberry farm." Or yeah, it was just
1: kind of a in general conversation. Uh, I think what I had done is I had brought some living wreaths down here mm-hmm. that I had made up with sedums and things. Um, it was actually not here; it was at the old yes at the old market, and just made contact with Molly and just through conversation. And I did the and, and then you know she was oh, well, we have to get some of your blueberry in here next summer because this was in the fall when I made contact. Um, we have to get some of your blueberry in here next year. That would be great. We're always, this is such a fun, such a fun year-round foliage. We love it. Okay. You know, it was just, <laughs> it, it was kind of one of those, Alright, I didn't really think about blueberries. But don't you
0: like my annuals? <laughs> oh
1: yeah. but what you don't want me to grow just regular flowers? You know, I can do that too.
0: But yeah. Uh, so. so at your peak at HB Farm, how many blueberry plants do you think you have?
1: Oh, that's a tough. Or one. was it more
0: acreage? Too? It was more
1: acreage. Okay. I guess I kind of looked at it as acreage. Um, so we had four acres in production of wow. blueberries. Wow. Um that's the, insane. The, the farm was you know there were different pieces to my grandparents farm so um now uh, some most a lot of your um a lot of the listeners will probably know about bow hill blueberries mm-hmm. which they sell um juices and they've Um, Taking everything organic now. That was the original farmstead that they own now. Bow Bow Hill. Bow Hill Blueberries. And then um, I bought the acreage that my grandparents' place was on. And then there was a farm right across the street from me that was also part of the original farm. So when the farm was going, there was about 22 acres. Wow. But I also grew up on a blueberry farm in Whatcom County. So I've been farming all my life. Yeah.
0: Blueberries. Yeah. yeah, it's, It's wonderful. It's, I mean, it's so. Sort of, uh, you know, this whole this whole uh, shift toward multi-purpose plants mm-hmm. or or cut flowers, you know, that can be used for foliage or flowers mm-hmm. or dried well or you know in bud in seed head. If you kind of blueberry kind of fills a lot of those those um, roles in terms of versatility, right? It does. It does. You mentioned that in your presentation today that mm-hmm. you cut at three different times.
1: Yes, and we're even going to experiment this year with doing um, like some blueberry twig wreaths and things mm. during the fall and holidays this year. But I cut the, this last winter. I was cutting um, because the blueberry um, the stems are you know the bright red, and during the holidays I was doing mixed greenery um, mixed greenery um, bouquets. With blueberry in there, mm. so it's and it was
0: sort of like a the the twig was the textural element. Yeah, wow. it just
1: added that nice bright red kick to it for for holidays that people left. So, oh,
0: well, I am yeah. going to talk about that more. I got a little bit off track. The reason I asked you how many blueberry pounds you had is I kind of panicked when you said you ripped some out. So, like, <laughs> like was it half of what? I mean, half. How far did half. you get?
1: Yeah. So I ripped out two acres. Wow. Probably. Yeah. Do you regret that? Um. Well, I think what it did was it made me diversify into some other plantings that I am finding some success in that I really love. Mm. Um, That's so, a no, yeah. I mean, it just made me kind of diversify a little bit. Um, like, you
0: maybe ripped them out for one reason, mm-hmm. and then you stumbled upon the fact that blueberries are still great to market, but you had now this like blank, blank slate of where you could plant and add things. Right. What what are those crops that like what when you when someone says what do you grow like of course when I first met you I thought it was just blueberries. What are your other key crops that, that you're you're developing or or planting now?
1: Um, I'm kind of thinking like what I have right now. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, you can look at the whole year. <laughs> I know. I'm like. Hmm.
1: Um, so we do a lot of hydrangea. Uh, we are the number two grower for the animal hydrangea here at the market. Really? So yeah, yeah. we kind of um, that's such a
0: beautiful flower yeah
1: it's great I love it and it's so those the heads on them are so nice and big and you know this right now they're really starting to hit their prime Um, and then we also grow roses we do um, a lot of the David Austin roses Mm -hmm. here Um, some some other varieties too but um, we do a lot of we do a lot yeah I like the English roses Mm -hmm. a lot Um, and then we do dahlias, of course
0: um, kind of more on the woody side. I, I
1: tend to what I I'm really thinking. Um, I everybody that I had spoken to when I was starting to get into this, and I I, um, I think that you can just not educate yourself enough in this industry. And so um, one of the things that I got into planting were perennials right off the bat and woody cuts. Right off the bat, so I have a lot of lilac that'll start to come on here in, in a couple years. Um, I have a lot of nine bark, um, um, you know, the different things like that that ornamental are foliages. yeah big on ornamental foliage. And then I also did a lot of um, maple, of Japanese maples hmm. and things
0: as and, cuts, as cuts, and they kind of an emerging category. Yeah, it's
1: kind of new and different, and there's so many different colors of them and. They do really, really well um, in arrangements, and so um, I've, mm. I've put some money into that too.
0: So yeah, I mean, just to, just to think about my mm-hmm. relationship with Japanese maple as a gardener. Mm-hmm. Every now and then, I clip a little bit, you know, of one little branch to put in a fall arrangement. But it's not a, a variety or a, a genus that you see in the in the commercial floral trade mm-hmm. as a, as an option. Um, do you think that? I mean. Do people just not know that it does well in a vase or? Well, I think
1: that one of the things that I have loved about being part of the growers market is is that we do tend to introduce some really cool things to um, the floral trade. And I think that it's just something, you know, I've cut it and used it and I think it could be something. Um, so it'll frequently show up on the sheet. Like Mm -hmm. I'll just have it on there. And if people want to order it or something like that, I might cut a few a little bit and bring it down here. But I I just think it could be something that's kind of fun, especially for the ball.
0: I wanna see yeah, Mm -hmm. I wanna see some more designs with that. Well, it's almost like listening to you, Heather, makes me realize that you have a long view. You're in the long game. Mm -hmm. Because when you're growing woodies, like you were mentioning, your lavender isn't ready yet, and you've got you know, these beautiful foliage Mm -hmm. trees and shrubs that will take five years before you can get much off of them. Like you're, you, you kind of, was that kind of your intent or did it just, you fell into those categories because you wanted to grow, maybe it wasn't widely available and have a niche for HB farm?
1: Well, I, I have really looked at it. You know, we start in the spring with our bulbs and we do a lot of tulips. We do, um, lots of fun, um, narcissus daffodils and, um, you know, we kind of start with that. That's right That's out your, of the gate. And we're one of the very first growers that deliver tulips. Um, I grow them in the high tunnel, so. Oh, so you're
0: kind of cheating the season a yeah, little bit. Yeah, I'm
1: kind of cheating the season. And in Bow, uh, because we have the coastal air, we tend to not freeze as hard as some mm. of the other areas. Mm-hmm. So uh, I, for some reason, I just have gotten out of the gate faster with the tulips. So I'm one of the very first growers that starts delivering. So I kind of start with that, and then I look at the seasonality of things, and I don't ever want to have a gap in the amount of items that I'm delivering mm. to the market. Mm. And you I, want a truck full. I, I want a truck full. If I'm having to drive to Seattle, I want a truck full when I come down, or at least that, that, that's how I'm going to look at this week. So I've purposefully looked at, okay, if there's there's always that little gap in June when I feel like there's just not enough um, not enough stuff that just, I, that I yeah. have. It's kind of that gap.
0: It's kind of like for after me. peonies right. and before roses right. kind of thing. Yeah. kind of thing.
1: And so it's like, well, what can we fill in there? Well, a lot of the foliages have started to come on, or you have lilac, you know. So that's kind of how I've looked at my farm. Like, I want to be able to have a crop coming on. Um, one of the things that I'm just – I put in um, – for next year basically are delphiniums because I kind of feel like that'll kind of be in that gap Mm. too a little bit. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: Um, So yeah, that's kind of how I look at it.
0: That's so interesting. It makes a lot of sense too. When you talk about wanting to fill the truck, uh, we didn't really specify where Bo is but geographically are you kind of between Seattle and Bellingham Mm -hmm. on the I-5 corridor? Yeah, I'm about
1: um, so if you know where Mount Vernon is um, I'm you know, north of Mount Vernon towards Bellingham, about fifteen
0: minutes or so. I've never Mount been to Bow, but I hear it's kinda of like a hipster town.
1: It's this kitschy little town, and really it's Edison. So there's
0: The Exit Exit the says ex- ex- Bow Edison. Edison because Bo
1: yeah. I'm in the town of Bow and then there is a town of Edison and, and most people don't know that, but if you're from the area, you know that there's two different there's two long. different locations. <laughs> yeah. um, so Edison has lots of fun little shops and restaurants, and it's a very foodie little town. Mm. And um, if you go through Edison on a Saturday or a Sunday, you will be hard-pressed to find a little spot to park because there's galleries and different little
0: shops, and the streets wow. are full. Wow, so, yeah. that's amazing. Okay, that'll be at summer of 2021. Yeah, that is a, that's a good, <laughs> that'll be a fun outing. <laughs> uh, but uh, I know you're sort of putting all your energy into the Seattle wholesale growers market in that you're not trying to have on farm events or, or uh, any kind of retail at your farm, right? Is that?
1: I have a little flower <coughs> stand that, oh, is a, that is a pay and grab it kind of thing. Um, kind of at the end of the driveway? It, yeah, it's just a little, well, it's where I. It's where my cooler used to be. And then I put in a big cooler this year because um, I have more product. Yeah. I needed more stuff. You got to fill that truck. <laughs> I have to fill that truck. So I needed a bigger cooler. And um, so my little flower stand that's there, that's up by the road, yeah, people just stop and, and buy that. But other than that, you know, I, I might do the occasional bucket for brides or that kind of stuff. But realistically, I, um, yeah. Everything comes down here to the garage Mm -hmm. market pretty
0: much for me. Well, you had to make choices about efficiency and where you're going to invest your energy. And Mm -hmm. um, I've heard this from many people that, you know, there's a benefit, you know, to sell all through one channel if you get the right mix like you're doing here at the market. In terms of your time, your resources.
1: I I think... um You know, I don't know that I started out with the mentality. I started out probably like everybody, I just have to market these flowers. You know, I have to figure out a place to sell them. I grew them,
0: so now I have to sell them.
1: Yeah, and I I think for me, um, it was a good fit. Mm -hmm. Uh, Years ago, when we, you know, I I was young, young, young at the time, but when my um, parents were involved in a a co-op to market their fruit, uh, you know, I kind of watched their relationships and stuff. And I do feel like the co-op is about about relationships. Um, you know, we can't all deliver the same thing. We have to have a mix of product to sell. Um, and you can't be the loudest, clangiest gong yeah. when you're working with people. Yeah. And so I, I felt like, um, you know, I, how I kind of got involved is I had come to a couple of events uh Diane, uh, uh, Jell-O-Mold, and Vivian um, from Every Day had invited me to come out to Jell-O-Mold and kind of meet with them to kind of see, get to know me a little yeah. bit, I think. Well, they um, were kind
0: of a membership committee. They were kind
1: of the membership yeah. committee. Well, Diane's always been the board president, and Vivian was membership committee. And so they kind of had invited me out and um, just to kind of get to know you. And we toured around Jell-O-Mold and talked and everything like that. And... Uh, Yeah, I just, I loved those two. And they are just such a wealth of information. I mean, I just couldn't get enough information from them. So I think that part of it. That chemistry. That chemistry was good. I don't, I think sometimes people come into it where I'm going to, they're going to, the grower's market is going to just market all my product for me. Um, But it doesn't run by itself. You know, it takes people to run it. It takes all of us to run it. And I... I just think that that um, it's a good mix of people for the Oregon growers to, um, you know, Peter Court to every, you know, it's yeah. just it's a good mix of growers. And I think we all have something to lend to the pie down here.
0: Right. Per se. Uh, are you on the board now? I am on the board. OK. And so um, you have I, I don't know your background, but I know you have a business background. Mm-hmm. So. Can you tell us a little bit about some of those <laughs> skills that you're drawing from from past
1: careers? That's what I love about this. We all have these little bits and pieces that we can, you know, that we bring. Um, and yes, I do have a business background. I have, um, I have three companies. Right now, uh, I'm <laughs> a serial entrepreneur. <laughs> I'm a serial entrepreneur. I know. I listen to all these podcasts about you know, entrepreneur. I'm thinking to myself, oh, they only do. No, <laughs> you,
0: you obviously. It's not like you're 80 years old. You started young.
1: <laughs> I did. I started young. Um, I have had a um, a timber company for uh, that I own with my ex husband still. Um, for over 20 years, uh, so I've been involved in that industry. I did some lobbying work in that industry in Washington, D.C., so I've been in that industry for years and years and years. So
0: natural resources, basically. Yep, natural yeah.
1: resources for years and years and years. So um, that has been, you know, kind of how I learned. And, and when you're an entrepreneur, you have to wear all the hats, so bookkeeping and business and how to set up Stuff And and all of those things is kind of what I brought, kind of what
0: you have to do. Like general business operations. General general
1: business operations, because you don't, I was laughing earlier with somebody, uh, you know, you call and you're talking to somebody on the phone and then, well, can we talk to your IT person? Okay, well, you are talking to the (laughs) IT person. I'm it. You know, this is the person (laughs) you get. Um, so you you run into that and and so I I I had that expertise and then I have um, a construction company general contracting company uh, and an interior design degree so that I use that part of it with that and then we have the farm
0: yeah the design uh training Mm -hmm. is probably why floral design Mm -hmm. comes easy to you it does wow how do you divide your your life I mean the farm could eat up the uh, farm 40 could hours, eat up uh, so hours much. Yeah, yeah,
1: the farm could eat up so much. And and I am, my husband does a ton of work for me. I mean, do not get me wrong. He does so much work for we me. We better give him a even, shout yeah. out. Brandon uh, get, does everything. <laughs> <laughs> um, I I do all the plantings and that kind of stuff. Um, but, you know, I'm a, I'm a one-woman show kind of thing. Wow. And so... Getting to all the weeding and everything takes up a lot of my time. Wow,
0: and or maybe it's just also the ebb and flow of seasons. You work on the other businesses more in the winter, and you are running.
1: I have, you know, I work in my office. I've I've had to hire some people and, re- and realize I can't do everything. Yeah. Um, and and you know, I I've tried to just take on the parts that I really need to focus on mm-hmm. and kind of delegate out the rest of it. Uh, it's hard when you you know when you've done everything for so long because you want everybody to do it the same way you would do it and realizing that no they're not going to and it's okay you can release that and not mm, have to keep control of that yeah i think it i think it's a balance that i've had to figure out
0: yeah um and be okay with it it's almost like that lesson is similar to the lesson of learning how to be in a co-op where you know you can't be the queen everybody has to have some um you know, respected role, even if they work for you.
1: <laughs> yeah, exactly. And and I, I think it's important. I, I just I feel like um, it's what makes it's what makes things go around. Yeah, kind of you know, and, and keeps everybody um, fed and <laughs> <laughs> yeah. you know, going. So.
0: Well, what what are you excited about moving forward in in your role with the growers market? Um, there's been a lot of change in this business with uh, Brad Seedy coming on as the general manager in I think January and then of course COVID hit and you know everybody's got off kilter but it I feel like there's a lot of focus for the future in this you know nine-year-old organization Mm -hmm. it's exciting
1: well I I think you know we started out, tulip season for me was a real bummer because that's mm. right when COVID hit. Oh, I'm so and sorry. And I think that we, we initially all were like, oh, wow, what is this going to mean? And how long is this going to last? And, and there, people were scared and we had to take into account everybody's level of what they were comfortable with. Um, yeah. But then all of a sudden you have to pivot. Yeah. I think, pivot, and that's the entrepreneur in you, right? And that's the entrepreneur in me. Is it's like, okay, well, we're not going to just lay down and say that the, everything's going to end. We're going to pivot and we're going to figure this out, mm-hmm. um, and be open to listening and be open to growing, and
0: <laughs> literally and figuratively,
1: <laughs> literally and figuratively, and it's painful sometimes. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I don't think people realize. Um, when they go into a business, that they're going to be growing pains, that you you don't get to just sit on your hands and say, okay, well, we're a business. You have to um, keep growing. And if you um, aren't willing to adapt and aren't willing to make changes, then that's when you're going to be in trouble. <laughs> and I, I think that that's kind of what we had to look at as a co-op. And we had to say, okay, well, we got to make some changes here. What are we going to look at doing? So... Um, we, we did have a grant, um, that you've been part of with some of these special events and things, but we had a grant that came around that really helped us look at shipping. Um, we've done some real outstanding, um, vase longevity trials, um, and been working with, um, uh, different, just different groups, but the shipping trials and, and, um, John Dole, And uh, the people that wrote the um, Woody Cuts right right book Mm -hmm. Um, ACFG yes thank well the the from um, oh University of North Carolina University of North Carolina they uh, we've done you know been been able to be part of these one on one um, conferences with Mm. them and as growers and we've just learned so much about Mm. what we can ship what's going to be able to go out into you know the Pacific Northwest and everything and and, um, and beyond right and beyond yeah
0: and we're excited about that um i'm so grateful that you're involved in that because i do feel like the potential for having serving customers customers who can't physically walk into this building has been there for so long but the infrastructure and the you know the budget wasn't there to right. support it so it sounds like you're this this year 2020 is a year to do all the experimentation to right. figure out shipping. Well, we kind of started
1: doing it last year okay. and you know Brad's direction has been really very helpful because he um he has a lot of great organizational ability to be able to help us get that going, yeah. you know. And and that well, that's, that's the infrastructure ex- part. Yeah, that's been exciting. So, you know, we're we're looking forward to that. We have been in a in a long-term working Um, At getting our website for people to be able to shop off of our website. Mm -hmm. Um, But, you know, as a market, we kind of have an aesthetic that we want to go for too. And so that's, and Brad has just taken that and reined that and and is running with it. And, And I think very shortly, very shortly, probably within the next, I don't know when this is going to air, but probably within the next couple of weeks, people will be able to shop with us online. And wow. we'll be able to
0: see our product and our inventory live in real time. Right. So. This has been a, a months-long endeavor. Maybe to, years. Uh, <laughs> and my, <laughs> yeah, when the idea first, there were a couple false Yeah, start. there like, were. When you talk about the aesthetic, are you saying that, like, the way a product will be photographed mm-hmm. is there's kind of a, an art direction to it or mm-hmm. some particular Right. There's standard. an art
1: direction, and we're not going to just take
0: uh, a standard, um,
1: stock photography, stock yeah. photography of a, you know, rose and put it on there. They're going to be roses that we've actually grown. Mm. And that's the thing. That's, that, the, time that's the time consuming part. That's the time consuming part. Actually, that you need been. a whole year to do that because well, you have
0: to photograph in season.
1: You do. You have to photograph in season. So um, that has been, you know, a little bit of a challenge. But it's, it's part of what COVID has allowed us to do because we all haven't been so busy with, you know, having all these wedding orders and, and things that we've had to do. So it's allowed us to kind of take that time and pivot and mm-hmm. realize that, okay, this is our future. Let's, let's start working on
0: our future mm-hmm. right now. So, so uh, just to clarify, the, the new website, which will launch uh, within the next month probably, mm-hmm. and I'll make sure that I think this is going to air um, pretty soon, like the 15th. So okay. um, sometime in the second half of July, maybe we'll do a an update to the show notes for this episode, but um, when you say people can shop online, is it only for um, the Pacific Northwest or the Seattle market, or is that for for national shipping? Um, Right now, for the very near
1: couple months, it will just be for... Pacific Northwest. got it. But there's potential. But there's potential, and I think that that shipping is right around the corner. Um, We're working diligently on that, and I think the website's taking a little bit of our time up right now.
0: You want to have that in place, right? We want to have that in place
1: first and make sure that we're able to fill all the orders and to get that going before um, we really look at, okay, now we want to take this to the next
0: level. We'll do another podcast about this. I just have to say... I always joke that I was the embedded journalist when the growers' market started <laughs> uh, in 2011 because I was actually at the first meeting in 2010 when uh, Diane Sukhavati, and it was at Charles Little and & Company, and there were a few, Vivian was there, there was a co- cohort that basically said the words, let's start a co-op, and I was so privileged to be part of it. But I, I do think that it, the growing pains you referred to is like, There have been so many changes in, like, the identity of this market. Like, it started out kind of like a farmer's market. Mm -hmm. And now it's running like, you know, a a competitive full-service wholesaler. And it just, it takes years to make that transition. And the people, you know, I am one
1: one of the two newest members of this co-op. So the people that have been part of it from the beginning and the amount of time that... I mean, it's kind of a it's kind of an amazing thing. The amount of time and energy that they they invested to make this what it is, is yeah. and and you include it.
0: Well, there's a, yeah, and you have the term sweat equity, yeah. but it really farmers understand sweat <laughs> equity. Farmers do, and I think that that's you know,
1: I've joked many times with a couple of the members. Um, it is we as farmers understand that yeah. it's just like me needing to figure out something else to do with my farm. We understand that we yeah. get how some years. That you lost your whole crop, and so just pull up your boots and realize yeah. that it,
0: okay, go to the next crop. Go to the next crop. Yeah, and,
1: you know, work on that, and um, that's what, that's what you have to do.
0: I'm so glad you didn't rip out all those. <laughs> <laughs> Me too. <laughs> so uh, let's just go back to that before we wrap up. You have mainly two types of uh, well, of I
1: grow on my I grow on my farm an old variety called Collins, which is probably. I would—I have to joke a little bit because when I bought my grandparents' place, people would show up during the summer on my doorstep and say, I'm here for the Collins. And I would kind of laugh about it because I'd be like, I don't know anything about this particular fruit because we didn't grow it on my parents' place. So I didn't know that much about uh-huh. it. And I did not know it had a little bit of a cult following that it has this, it's a great big fresh market berry has this fabulous flavor and people really loved it, in they the Valley. Know it by and name. they knew it by name wow. in Skagit Valley. My grandparents were one of the only growers I think around that had it. Um so people would just drive to get that. And people would show up on my doorstep and knew that my grandma used to let them go
0: out and pick
1: it even when the car was going. So it's kind of funny. Um and then, that? yeah I I was like, well no I'm not doing that anymore. <laughs> Might have made a few enemies. Um, and then uh, I also have early blue, which early blue are the earliest varieties you're going to find in the Pacific Northwest. Um, they're ripe right around the 4th of July. Okay. Those are my two varieties. I don't cut those mainly for the grower's market. Okay. Um, and I don't because the fruit's so large. Um, we oh, saw today it's just too much your branches would bend over too much you'd constantly be breaking plus the fruit ripens really fast mm. and it's not it's great mm-hmm. so I cut more at my neighbors and he has a lot of jerseys and jerseys are what I mainly deliver to is
0: jersey get. what people should be asking for then
1: I think when people are looking at, oh, I'm going to, I want to plant some in my yard to use as cuttings or or that kind of stuff, if people are going to do that, Um, jerseys are a great one. The plants will get to be six to eight feet tall. Just count on that. Wow. They're huge, they're really big plants. Um, we were talking today, uh, they were my least favorite plants to pick as a kid because they were so tall and you had to stand on boxes to get to all the fruit. And um, the fruit grows very long, grows a long ways out on the branch. Uh, so they're great. So for a florist, for a florist yeah. they're perfect. But to pick, they're kind of a pain. Um, I liked <laughs> picking the early blue and the we had blue crop, too, a lot of blue crop. And I was like, oh, I can get 300 pounds a day. This is great. When you, were, when you were, <laughs> uh, what did your parents
0: pay you? Did they pay you by the bucket or the uh, bag? No,
1: uh, we, we used to make 12 cents a pound. Well, we used to make 11 cents a pound. And then if you stayed through the whole season, my parents would put the caveat that you got 12 cents a pound. Like a, a bonus. Yeah, you got a little bonus. Retroactively? No, at the end. You got paid at the end of the year. Oh. So you had to work all season. Unless you got fired. then
0: we, no. <laughs> what, what age were you when you were doing uh, that? Oh,
1: I started picking, I think, when I was five. And I didn't pick a lot at first. But um, by the time I was in high school, I was still picking berries and I was making, you know, I, I did it for clothes. Yeah, <laughs> It was your, like it was your it was shopping budget. Yeah, you know, that's when kids picked berries. Yeah. And so, um, yeah, I used to pick 200, 300 pounds a day. Now... Um when you go to pick, if you went to a farm to pick berries, you'd you know make about a dollar a pound. Wow. So it's different. Yeah. Making two hundred picking 200, 300 pounds a day. That's yeah, that's, that's that, fine. That's incentive. That's, that's incentive. Especially for yeah, a, exactly. a young person. Exactly.
0: Uh at that time when you were an adolescent picking mm. berries, what did you want to be when you grew up? I'm sure you didn't want to be on a berry farm. Nothing like berry farming. In fact, my mother jokes with me sometimes that I was
1: I was leaving. I was going to New York and I was going to be a fashion designer or something like that. <laughs> I was not staying in. I was never going to own a farm and I was not going to be on a farm. But well,
0: you went into design
1: with interior design. I, yeah, I did, right?
0: and you know, I it's funny because.
1: It all kind of came back. Um, you know, I had my um, na- I had my state farmer degree and had been working on my national farmer degree through FFA and things like that. I mean, I I was involved in farming. Um, we had sheep and cows and different things when I was you mean in up. high school and stuff? Mm-hmm. in high school, mm-hmm. yeah. So, I, but it, I didn't think it was going to stick. Yeah. I thought I would not mm-hmm. be around
0: here, but. Mm-hmm. I am still, but the <laughs> fact that you went off and studied interior design and worked in that profession uh, is completely relevant to understanding what you're growing and why to supply the floral design trade. I mean, I, I and I, I probably connect... do a lot more with colors. Like I,
1: I really get into some cool colors. Like I think that's more. Um, they, Diane laughs at me every once in a while because I kind of like get a little bit like oh my gosh that color is fabulous we need to get that. <laughs> oh, we got to find more flowers in that color or, you know, that kind of thing. Because I do tend to be a little more like that color driven rather than, well, it's really not
0: that practical. <laughs> right. Well, that's the pain point. Like, yeah, you can't always grow what you love because right. it doesn't pay the bills. It doesn't. Yeah. Yeah. But those roses, I think, are kind of satisfying that color yearning They you. So, they do. Wow. Yeah. That's yeah. so great. Wow. I I know you did the flowers for your son's wedding, but do you find yourself doing floral design at, at all anymore? Or is it just just no time?
1: I produced. think it's just
0: no time, mm-hmm. and
1: and it's not. I had to. I had to realize, okay, I can grow flowers, and that's really where I should. Because there's so many other designers out there that I just kind of get all. Like today, watching Melissa from Darabella do, I was like, "Wow, that's so great!" Look how fast she is at doing this, and how she puts that together, and look how she saw that. It's not my gift. It's not as big of a gift for me as it is for other people. You have an
0: appreciation for it, and I that, do. that informs your farming. I do. Yep, yeah, yeah. I'd rather be farming. So. Wow, that's so great. Well, this has been so much fun, Heather. I just love talking to you and just seeing how you know your approach to farming is. It's hard work, but it's it's you're challenged by it and you're not going to let it, um, you know, win. (laughs) You're going to, you're going to, you're going to find a way, you're going to find a way through. And I think that that's that resilience that we're all trying to tap into this, this year, especially, Mm -hmm. um, this has been really fun. And before we close, is there anything I didn't ask you that you want to make sure we touch on? no thank you
1: Astrid (laughs) everything I should probably say
0: (laughs) (laughs) well um, we actually just finished a a presentation at the Seattle Wholesale Carver's Market um, with um, Heather presenting and Christy from B&B Farms Mm -hmm. uh, talking about lavender and Melissa Fevier from Terabella did a beautiful floral arrangement so I'll make sure to put the photo uh, of Melissa's designs in our show notes um because your blueberries are in—it was loaded with blueberries. It was so loaded. It this was is beautiful. The like moment in time, if you want fruiting branches, it's a good time to choose them in July, because mm-hmm. you can get the foliage later and you can get right. the buds earlier. Right, but
1: but this is the time, and right now is the time that they're kind of starting to turn to that like light pinkish purple color, and it's really the time to get them. Mm-hmm. Anytime after the fourth of July.
0: Mm, Is your, your window? Our timing was perfect then. It was. Thanks, Heather, <laughs> so much. Thanks, Deborah. Thanks so much for joining today's conversation. In the coming weeks, as Heather mentioned, the Seattle Wholesale Grower's Market will roll out a new and improved website. I'll make sure to share a link when that goes live so you can see all of the botanicals, flowers, and foliage from HB Farm and the other amazing farms that are part of this cooperative. Our next sponsor thanks goes to the Association of Specialty Cut Flower Growers, formed in 1988 ASCFG was created to educate, unite, and support commercial cut flower growers. Its mission is to help growers produce high quality floral material and to foster and promote the local availability of that product. Learn more at ascfg.org. Last Friday, July 10th, we held the monthly Slow Flowers member virtual meetup, our second monthly gathering via Zoom. That followed about eight consecutive weeks of weekly meetups that began in late March with the onset of the COVID-19 pandemic. The pandemic continues to be top of mind for all of us, and connecting virtually is one way to check in, listen, and learn, encourage, and grow with the Slow Flowers community. I encourage you to check out the link which I have in today's episode 462 of last week's virtual meetup. You'll want to watch the replay video It was profoundly inspiring. We had two guests. We had top wedding designer Joy Proctor of Joy Proctor Design based in Portland and top wedding designers Alicia Rico and Adam Rico of Bows and Arrows Flowers in Dallas and their Slow Flowers members. Our attendees learned about the first Say Their Names Memorial in Portland, Oregon created on Juneteenth by Joy Proctor and a group of friends, artists, designers, and craftspeople. Their goal was to use art to honor hundreds of black men and women whose lives were taken unjustly. Since then, the memorial has been recreated in several more cities, including Dallas, Seattle, Lexington, and Austin, with up to 10 more planned throughout the country. Dallas creatives Adam and Alicia were part of the team that installed the Say Their Names Memorial tribute in Dallas. They have since brought the installation to Atlanta and to Naples, Florida, These passionate and gifted wedding professionals shared with us the idea of floral activism and how they are using beauty and art to raise awareness, change attitudes, and protest injustice in their communities and beyond. And as I said, you can find the link to watch last week's meetup in today's show notes at deboraprinsing.com. Our final sponsor thanks goes to Mayesh Wholesale Florist. Family owned since 1978, Mayesh is the premier wedding and event supplier in the U.S. And we're thrilled to partner with Mayesh to promote local and domestic flowers, which they source from farms large and small around the U.S. Learn more at mayesh.com. The Slow Flowers Podcast has been downloaded more than 624,000 times by listeners like you. Thank you for listening, commenting, and sharing. It means so much. As our movement gains more supporters and more passionate participants who believe in the importance of the American cut flower industry, the momentum is contagious. I know you feel it, too. I value your support and invite you to show your thanks with the donation to support my ongoing advocacy, education, and outreach activities. You can find the donate button in the column to the right at DeborahPrinzing.com. I'm Deborah Prinzing, host and producer of the Slow Flowers Podcast. Next week, you're invited to join me in putting more American-grown flowers on the table, one vase at a time. And if you like what you hear, please consider logging onto iTunes and posting a listener review. The content and opinions expressed here are either mine alone or those of my guests alone, independent of any podcast sponsor or other person, company, or organization. The Slow Flowers Podcast is engineered and edited by Andrew Bramlin. Learn more about his work at soundbodymovement.com.